Welcome to ASME TechCast, where we bring you the innovators, the innovations, and the issues that push the envelope of engineering. I'm Carlos Gonzalez, Special Projects Manager at Mechanical Engineering Magazine, and in this episode, we'll be speaking with Dean Bartles, President and CEO of the Manufacturing Technology Deployment Group. Prior to that, he worked at General Dynamics for over 30 years, where he served as the Vice President and General Manager. He's also served as the president of the North American Manufacturing Research Institute, the president of the Society of Manufacturing Engineers, and the founding chairman of the Smart Manufacturing Leadership Coalition. Today, he talks to us about Industry 4.0, where we are today, and what innovations are in store for the years to come. Dean, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Appreciate it. So why don't we start by describing the Manufacturing Technology Develop Deployment Group? What is its mission? Why was it founded? And how is it serving engineers today? The founding organization was actually called the National Center for Defense Manufacturing and Machining, and it's been around for about 20 years. Uh, it's most well known for running the National Additive Manufacturing Innovation Institute, branded as America Makes in Youngstown, Ohio where we have over 220 members that are all working towards maturing additive manufacturing technology. It's a public-private partnership with the uh, Department of Defense. So I assumed the role of the CEO of that organization back in May of 2019. I had served on the board previously for about 10 years. When the former CEO, Ralph Fresnick, decided to retire, uh, the board asked me if I'd be interested in taking it over, which I did. So after running NCDMM for a little over a year, I approached the board of directors and said, you know, there's so many new technologies that NCDM is involved with, especially at the Additive Manufacturing Innovation Institute. I think there might be opportunities where we could help small medium manufacturers with uh, some of these technologies. So with the board's permission, I formed the parent organization over top of NCDMM that I call the Manufacturing Technology Deployment Group. But I also formed a sister organization that I call Advanced Manufacturing International. AMI has only recently been launched. It's uh, sort of still getting its sea legs. It's been around for about a year. And we've partnered with a couple of small companies that have some very innovative IoT edge device type of technology and uh, as well as cybersecurity devices for the shop floor. And we're offering those out to small medium manufacturers at cost so we can help them begin their journey. What technologies are those specifically that you feel need to be focused and spotlighted right now in this moment? There are so many technologies, both within the American Makes Consortium, as well as the NCDMM entity itself, that could benefit small media manufacturers. Most of the work that NCDMM does outside of the American Makes Consortium is with the Department of Defense directly. So these technologies that we've been exposed through our alliance partner network, are some of those are perfect for small media manufacturers. Let me give you an example. Sure. So we, we think that uh, the first step towards the journey of Industry 4.0 that any small medium manufacturer could take is connecting one or a few of their machines to some type of Internet of, edge, Internet of Things edge device that could collect process data real time and be able to present that data in a dashboard format so that the management of the organization could see what exactly is happening on those machines. We think that's the first step. Uh, we have a program through the Department of Army where we are uh, installing these Internet of Things edge devices uh, with multiple 3D printing machines at various suppliers. And we're collecting a tremendous amount of in-process data that then can be 
stored on a very secure uh, cloud environment. That's you know it's a, it's a Gov cloud environment, so it's highly cyber secure. And then when when the parts that are printed for the Army are shipped to the customer, the customer can download those files and they can interrogate those files and see that all the various parameters like laser energy scanning speed, spot size, humidity in the chamber, et cetera, are maintained within a certain range. That gives the customer a much higher integrity or higher confidence in the integrity of the part. And we think that's a, a, a pretty innovative way to get these small companies started on their journey towards industry 4.0 and smart manufacturing. We've got a lot of uh, uh, welcome praise from not just the DOD, but also the OEMs like General Dynamics and Raytheon and Lockheed Martin and Boeing and Northrop Grumman. They all are keenly watching this program and, and are very interested in having their supply chains involved in a program like this, where they too can get that kind of data off of those machines during the printing process so that they can have a much higher level of confidence and integrity of part. So that's, that's one of the technology areas that uh, we've, we've handed off to AMI and AMI in turn is offering that out to small mediums. We're working through the MEP network. Uh, you're, you're, I'm sure the listeners are familiar with the Manufacturing Extension Partnership through NIST. There's one in every state, at least one in every state. And we're working through that network as well to offer these Internet of Things Edge devices. Along with that, whenever you talk to a small manufacturer about streaming data, coming off their machines, going to the cloud, they get very nervous about cybersecurity. Everyone's concerned about somebody hacking their machine tools, causing, yeah, those, yeah. Yeah, causing those machine tools to do something that they don't want them to do. So we're also offering a, a very, very high grade, sort of like a Cadillac version cybersecurity for the shop floor solution through a partner called StrongKey. Uh, we're also looking at a less expensive option that that maybe, maybe isn't a Cadillac, but it certainly is a, a high quality Chevrolet, if you will. That one's not yet quite ready for prime time, but we're working on that. That will be more of a software solution. But but the hardware solution we have right now is extremely good. It's the same solution that credit card companies are using. In previous years, a lot of the focus might have been on hardware, on sensors and being able to collect data. Now we're at the point that we need to manage the data and how we bring that data to the customer and how we bring that data to companies to organize their systems. Exactly. And, and let, me, let me tell you about another area that's kind of in concert with what I just described, but, but a little bit different. You know, this additive manufacturing field is by far the hottest new innovative technology that's hit manufacturing in a long time. And yes, we're working to be able to provide higher levels of confidence in the integrity of those parts that are being printed through the collection of data. But there's also a new emerging field called integrated computational material engineering. With this, with this software that a few companies are offering out there, you can actually design a part at the microstructure level. So if you, if you provide the machine that you're using and, and the characterization of the pattern that you're using, the ICME software can tell you for, for certain areas of a particular part design, if you want you know, mechanical properties resulting of XYZ in this area, but ABC in this other area, you can actually come up with a program for the 3D printing machines to tell it to print at certain speeds and certain temperatures, et cetera, that will give you different micrograin structures and different mechanical properties. We're testing that out right now with two ICME software companies, and I'm funding a project at Penn State where they're printing those coupons uh, per the directions from those two software companies to see just, just, you know, are we sure we can get the resulting mechanical properties and microstructures that they say we can if we follow those parameter settings. So it's really fascinating technology. And I think something that's going to really revolutionize additive manufacturing going forward. If you can 
if you can specifically set your parameters to achieve resulting specific microstructures, mechanical properties that you desire, that's pretty awesome. So more to follow on that. That's still a very nascent technology that's only now emerging. Oh, that would that would definitely change a lot of the ways we approach additive right now, because one of the biggest questions and obviously you working within or working with the defense department, you know, knows that airworthiness, for example, if something's going to go on an aircraft is such a crucial part of getting an additive part or getting any part on an aircraft and additive parts are typically tested very rigorously to make sure that they have airworthiness. So being able to set the mechanical properties prior to would change a lot of the qualifications that go on with an additive part. Absolutely. And the key to that success and, and leading towards eventual qualification without having to do so much testing is the fact that, okay, if we can verify and demonstrate that we can prescribe the resulting mechanical properties by specifying the exact parameter settings on the machine that are unique to that particular machine and that particular powder, and then we can verify that through the resulting analysis that we can do in the lab. Now you've got something. And now when you, you add that Internet of Things edge device on all the printers out there to make sure that, in fact, those settings that were prescribed to achieve those resulting microstructures are, in fact, maintained during the entire print process, now you've got something. So now the customer can simply interrogate that data file, make sure those parameter settings are maintained within the specified ranges, and be assured that they will have those resulting mechanical properties and microstructures. So in terms of, you know, adoption and, you know, where we are today with Industry 4.0 practices, whether it's working with additive or working with data management systems, what is your opinion on the state of the industry today? And obviously, we've been in this, you know, manufacturing as an, as a, as an industry, industry sector has been in flux greatly in the last two years since the beginning of the pandemic. So it varies dramatically by size of company. Okay. So I'll give you an example. Again, referring back to additive manufacturing, which I still think is, is the uh, exciting technology out there in manufacturing today. You take a company like General Electric who can invest billions with a B, billions of dollars into their technology, which they have, and they control all of those parameter settings very, very closely, very tightly, and they can achieve the, the kinds of mechanical properties that they desire. And, and that's why they've been able to take one example I'm sure everyone, all the listeners have heard about is this engine that used to have 900 different parts and they've taken it down to some ridiculous number like nine different parts. And they're, they're getting the, the kinds of airworthiness certifications needed because they've invested so much money. But the problem is that for this, for this technology to scale and, and, and be able to have the small mediums you know, growing up in the supply chains out there to be able to have that same level of confidence there's got to be a way for the small mediums to also benefit from a, a, a type of data lake, if you will, where, where all of them begin sharing that data of, of the different parameter settings that they're using, the different properties that they're achieving. And from that, I think we can invite the, the AI community into studying that data once we have that data lake developed and being able to spread the, the learnings across the community. Uh, I, I think we've got to have some type of a common platform that can store the data, analyze the data. I think we'll get you know, the powder providers involved in that. I think we'll get the machine producers involved in that, as well as the small mediums that are using the machines. Right now, it's, it's, you know, it's kind of the information that the machine producers want to hold on to themselves. They don't want to share it, even, even with the customers who are buying the machines. 
which I think is kind of crazy. But <laughs> eventually, that data, I think, is going to get shared, and everyone's going to, going to learn from it. The old rising tide lifts all boats kind of a thing. So, so what, one of the missions of, of my company is, in fact, to develop that kind of a platform and be able to attract enough companies to put their data on the platform with the understanding that whatever we learn together, everybody gets, the, gets it. And, and the, the cost of doing something like that would, would be kept at such a low level that, that even the small mediums could participate and everyone could benefit. I mean, that would be you know, a clear barrier of adoption, right? The kind of lack of, of wanting to share information or even perhaps trusting uh, a general cloud space or cl a cloud storage solution where everyone could access the information together. I think, you know, I've seen like we like you had mentioned at the top, cybersecurity is a big concern for a lot of people. So adopting cloud solutions where data could be accessible for all is probably one of the biggest barriers to adoption I'm seeing right now. No question. And we we have somewhat conquered that on a very, very, very small scale through this program we have that we're developing a prototype additive manufacturing supply chain for the DOD. And we've got about 100 suppliers that are going to participate in that. And we've convinced them that not only will we install this IoT edge device onto their 3D printing machine and be able to track all of that process information while the parts are being printed, but when they send that data to the Microsoft Azure GovCloud, who happens to be the one we chose, which is pretty much the highest level of cloud security you can get, before the data ever leaves their factory, it goes through this cybersecurity appliance that we've, we've got from StrongKey that not only encrypts the data, but tokenizes the data as well. So even if somebody were to somehow steal the data and break the encryption, it's useless unless you have the key of how that data was tokenized. That data is stored on you know, the Microsoft Azure GovCloud and the government's able to access that eventually we'll go to a, a, a similar type of arrangement for companies to be able to access data to do the types of analysis that are going to be needed to develop these AI platforms and these AI apps, if you will, for the small mediums. Besides, um, you know, as we're talking about right now, cloud connectivity, what other barriers of adoption do you see, um, you know, hindering industry 4.0 adoption across whether it's a small or large company? I mean, obviously you mentioned GE can invest a large amount and kind of maybe take the risk to invest into bigger systems and systems that will revolutionize and even maybe upend some of their production processes where smaller companies can't take that risk. Is that, you know, is the amount of money being able to invest right now into industry 4.0 solutions one of the adoption barriers? Well, no question. If, you know, I've, I've had the benefit through some of my previous assignments of, of meeting with many, many small and medium manufacturers. I used to be the president of the National Tooling Machining Association. And when you talk to the owners of these small shops, a lot of them will ask that question, you know, why should I make this investment? You know, what, what, what's the return on investment type of calculation that I can justify putting that kind of money into that kind of technology? What am I, the owner, really going to get out of that? That's definitely one of the big impediments so what, what, what I think will eventually drive a culture change is when you have the customers, in many cases, it's OEMs, right? When you have the customers saying, look, I want transparency into my supply chain. I want to know where my parts are real time. I don't want to rely on somebody that's phoning in that information or faxing in that information, filling it out manually. I want to know where my parts are in your process. 
if I'm Procter and Gamble and I've got five different producers making diapers and one of them has a hiccup, I want to be able to dial the other four up as quickly as I can in order to make sure that I don't have an interruption in my supply. So the only way to do that are the OEMs are going to have to drive this technology down into their suppliers, probably help them out with some of that funding so that they can have that kind of transparency. You know, I, I, I used to have a plant that reported to me that, that made a product that might have 12 distinct steps. And every one of those steps, Operation 0100 through Operation 1200, was, was done on a unique CNC machine. And that once one operation was done, the part was moved to the next machine, et cetera. I've heard OEMs talk about the idea of they want to know from machine to machine where their parts are and what kind of quality inspection is happening as it leads one machine to the next machine. You know, everyone I'm sure on this podcast knows machines have drift. Over time, certain settings drift. So to be able to have that kind of inspection data and, and for machine 0300 to know what it's actually getting from 0200, which might be a little different than what it's programmed thinking it's going to get, to be able to compensate for that and make adjustments on the fly so that when it's handed off the machine 0400, it's right back to the kind of uh, dimensions it should be. That's the kind of insightful transparency that the OEMs are looking for. And I think they're the ones that will be driving this technology down into the lower, smaller machine shops in the supply chain. So before I let you go, I wanted to ask you about the future um, and the future of Industry 4.0. We've talked a lot about where we are right now, you know, the adoption that's going on and in the sectors that it's happening. But in your position, you've probably seen a lot of things that are coming our way and things that are going to impact Industry 4.0 for the future. So what do you believe are the biggest innovations heading for us in, let's say, maybe the next five years or so? Well, certainly 5G is one of them that ranks up there. For the, for the small shops that don't have already, you know, internet, ethernet all the way through their shops, you know, it's, it's so costly prohibitive to have to run that kind of wiring all through their entire shop. 5G is going to give you the kind of speed that you need in order to do all of this through a Wi-Fi type of uh, connectivity. So it's going to be a lot cheaper um, to be able to have that kind of connectivity throughout your shop. It's, it, you're, you're going to no longer have to be concerned with the latency that's involved with, with the current Wi-Fi technology. This 5G uh, speed is so much faster. You're still going to have to have um, certain controls done at the machine level. You know, my, my dream was to have sort of like a, 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 a supercomputer that's controlling every machine in the shop, mm -hmm. right? So, so instead of having an individual controller on each CNC machine, why not just have all the machines without controllers and have a supercomputer that's controlling all of them? Um, but but I you know I keep getting told by people that are more knowledgeable than me that the latency involved even even with something as fast as 5G you're just still not going to be able to get all those controls off of the machine. So an edge type of controller that's much less expensive than the control systems that are currently on machines could possibly be a solution where you can still have much of the control done in in the in the local cloud there at your factory with a supercomputer that's sort of monitoring everything. Even, you know, I always think of HAL and Space Odyssey or Mother and Aliens, you know, those types of computer systems right. that, are con that are controlling all the different machines. You know, to be able to, to, be able to receive an RFQ and, and put it into your system and know exactly which machines are going to be available during that time frame to deliver those parts at the specified delivery date, you know, and then be able to, you know, spin out the, the codes, the, you know, the, the so-called G-code, each of the machines are telling it, you know, you're going to do this on the, on the part, you're going to do this on the part, and to automatically order the material and have a, 
you know, a, an automated vehicle that's delivering the material to the machine, all of that can be controlled. And, and it's a pretty exciting future, but I think you're still going to have to rely on the larger OEMs to drive that, that technology down into the supply chain. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of smalls out there that still don't see the payback. And, and unless they are incentivized by, by their customers to move towards that, it'll, it'll still be very slow to progress. Totally. And I think, you know, just one last thing is, I, I think that's what's happened in the last two years, right? The, the, the need to produce with the supply chain disruptions that happened pushed a lot of companies into industry 4.0 areas that maybe they were hesitating or on the fence or maybe had not even considered doing so. And I think that's one of the biggest stories we've covered in these last few years that when push came to shove, industry 4.0 was the solution. No question. Uh, and I can tell you, in the America Makes Consortium, the, all of the members, I mean, over 220 members all came together to figure out, okay, how can we help this current situation? You know, we have this capability of 3D printing in most of our, our factories. What can we all do to help? And everybody coordinated. They came out with designs that you know, were, were, were rapidly approved by, by the National Institute of Health that they could all download and print parts, whether it was ventilator parts or, or face masks or shields or even, even Q-tips. You know, I mean, it's just everybody was, was, was you know, moving in the same direction very, very quickly. There, there's actually a, a nice write-up about that uh, program that people could go to the America Makes website and download. But, but the, the entire community came together in an urgent need and responded very, very well. And, and much of that was because of the ability of the kinds of technologies that Industry 4.0 are bringing to the forefront. Well, Dean, thank you so much for speaking with um, ASME TechCast today. It's been wonderful talking to you about Industry 4.0, and we look forward to hearing more from the MTDG group. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. I'm Carlos Gonzalez. Thank you for listening to ASME TechCast. You can find our other episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, or your favorite podcasting platform.